We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. Welcome to episode 232 of the Barcelona Podcast, home to the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dean Hilton, as always, and I'm again joined by Frances Tomas, former Barcelona columnist featured on ESPN, The Guardian, and of course, the Barcelona Podcast. And you can find us both at barcelblog.com. Frances, we're coming off a win, so I guess brighter days for today's episode. Hola, Gules. Well, yeah, we're going to try and bring some positivity as much as we can, um, it is not always, unfortunately, it's not always the case that we win a game. Um, so, yeah, let's let's discuss it. Yeah, it was a resounding win, a one nothing win over Levante. And I think the main person that... I, I find that on our show, we go weeks without talking about Lino Messi because he is as... He always has been for the last 15 years in our life. There's very few new words to say about not only the magic of Messi but also what we all lived through over the summertime with him requesting to leave and the fight with Bartomeu and everything that Messi has been, it's always go big or go home. So we'll go weeks without talking him about him because we're talking about the minutia of the lineup, of the roster, of different things going on. But I think it's important to have our headline once again this week be about Messi. And it's not necessarily a question about Messi, but more in that it seems like there's almost an overcorrection. I, I'm noticing even in the Catalan media, Frances, that there are certainly a fraction of the club supporters and socios that once he said, let me go, let me out of this club, they kind of turned their back on him as well. But when you look at the numbers that he's putting up this season for the questions about his goal scoring and questions about his motivation of being on the team, the numbers are starting to once again, as Messi always does with the numbers, they start to become quite staggering. Now, some of the stats I just want to read off to you. We haven't recorded a show since Juve, and those numbers are actually even more incredible than Levante. 31 shots before getting the goal in his last three matches, before he got the open-to-play goal against Levante, of course, the winner. He participated directly in 15 shots against Levante, 12 shots, and three key passes. That was a record for a player in the same game in the league of this season, as Messi usually does have that record, though I must admit, regardless of what the numbers are, as I said, third open play goal of the season, the first game winner of the season for him. But against Juve, seven shots on target, 11 shots total, most of any play without a goal since 2002-03 in the Champions League, and 121 touches, most by a lot of anybody on the field that day. Messi is, I mean, for all the questions of, oh, he's not pressing enough, or he's not giving his best, or his shots are meandering and not really getting into the back of the net because they're not, even the shots against Juve, Buffon wasn't tested as much as he should have been. And Messi's not getting his shots off from the right spots, and that's why they're not finding the back of the net. But you cannot argue to me that Messi is still not being Messi. That Messi, for all that people were saying, oh, he's 33 and he's over the hill, the advanced metrics and everything tells you that this guy is still the focal point of this team. And there is still, uh, until something else happens or the club has a radical change, 
Messi Dependencia is very much still alive, regardless of whether or not he's putting the ball in the back of the net. Well, Messi's worst enemy is himself. Um, he set incredibly high standards from basically 15 years, season on season on season on season, um, scoring 50 goals a year for fun, um, even going to 91. Um, not that long ago, really, even though it feels like a lifetime. Um, and if people are comparing Messi to the Messi of 2012, 2015, then of course they're going to be disappointed because no player ever will ever be able to be compared to Messi on those years. However, this is still the most influential player that Barca have ever had. And uh, the worst version that we've seen of Messi since his debut um, around 16 years ago now is always going to be better than the vast majority of any player that's ever played the game. So someone who scored 800 goals and counting, someone who's already touching around six to 700 games for the team uh, cannot really beat out it, to be honest, um, especially when, as you've mentioned, he continues to tirar del carro. He's throwing, you know, pushing everything forwards and being the energy that drives the attack of the team, whether he played up front, like he played at times against Levante, for example, or from the second line or from the wings. I mean, he... Messi is the system and he's always going to be the system until he eventually leaves us, which I think will happen possibly this summer. Um, we'll see what the next candidate or the next president has to say about that one. But um, I don't really see Messi staying in Barca for much longer. So every single second, every single game that he's defending our colours, then we need to be feeling ourselves as blessed fans and making the most of it. Yeah, I agree with that point that regardless of who the presidential candidate is, and there was even a question that if we had a presidential candidate that decided to, we'll say, upset the balance of what the regular nomenclature has been, which is, I want Messi to renew. That's what Laporta, that's what Font, and we'll continue to say those two names. But if a presidential candidate were to bring up the idea that, well, I'm actually going to let Messi go as Carlos Tusquets, who I think... Don't know if he remembers that he's actually in charge of the managing committee because I think he thinks he's president at the moment, which he is on technically through a technicality. He is president, but he is merely in charge of the managing committee. So for well, the Dan, with that one, I think that he's forgetting what his job is from time to time. And, yeah. uh, even though that he's been a, a director for many, many years, I think it was over two decades. Um, he seems to be liking the spotlight a little bit too much. He went to speak to. Catalonia Radio around 10 days ago and uh, speaking out of turn when it wasn't necessary for him to, to do that. I mean, he's a numbers guy. That's why he's doing the job. So if he sticks to numbers and lets everyone else who knows what to do do their jobs, then I think we'll all be better served. Yeah, I agree with that. And the idea that Messi is going to leave is something that not only is on our on all of our minds, but it's this weird thing where most people accepted that Messi is going to leave at the end of the year. So no one will be surprised he's been saying it. And then the idea, again, that a president would want him to renew with the club, that still means that even if Messi is it at Barcelona next year, radical change is still on the horizon, no matter what, with a new president and a new board, that always happens. And I, I've also noticed, too, that people keep asking us to talk about these the presidential elections. As I said, the two favorites so far have been Laporta and Font, as it has been since Laporta a few weeks ago now said he wanted to throw his hat in the ring. Emil Razad is also out there. He's even mentioned that he wants to try to bring in Monchi as sporting director. And in fact, that's actually, I think bringing in Monchi might be a harder task than bringing back Neymar or Holland finding the money for that, honestly. But the favorites have been and continue to be Laporta and Font. And as I said, we are still over a month out of that election, and I'm going to continue to push off a conversation between the differences between Font and Laporta, because no matter what, I think the broad stroke I want people to understand is that there is an idea of candidates being related to the finances of the club and having their presidency relying on that, which is, as most socios would understand, affiliated to the Nunez side of the philosophy of the club. But no matter what, there's going to be a correction from Bartomeu back to the Crevismo affiliated ideas of the club, if you will. So regardless of what happens, it's going to be the ideas of Cruyff that you're going to hear a lot, a lot, a lot between these presidential candidates and regardless of whether it's Laporta or Font. For sure, but we haven't spoken about pizza yet, Dan. <laughs> we have Jordi not. Jordi Ferrer came out, did you hear? Yes. Jordi Ferrer came out this week and uh, he said that every voter that he gets is going to get three slices of pizza by the king of pizza, and he pointed at some dude that apparently is the, the king of pizza himself, and they'll be getting tattoos, not fake tattoos, but real tattoos, and he made very sure that um, that point was, was noticed to everyone who votes, and it has to be the Barca logo on themselves. So if you like tattoos and pizza, then Jordi Farré is your man, and 
we just close the, co- the podcast now. There's no need to talk about anything else. Yeah, I mean, a question about Jordi Foray is obviously he was the the, the first, the, the guiding light, the, the first domino for the motion to censura. So that was his calling card. And now, instead of being the motion to censura candidate, he is now the pizza and tattoo candidate. And he's kind of showing you how not to run a presidential campaign. Um, yeah, I'm all in on the pizza thing. But if that's your main talking point, if I have to choose between pizza and actually pizza and Messi, that one's a tough one. I would choose Messi, but at some point he is going to slow down and I'm going to still need the pizza. But in, in truth, friends, as you and I, as some of our comments have said, I know we're getting off the track here, but some of our comments have said, We've seen our face now with this the, the, the video edition. Yeah, I know if you're listening, we also have a little bit of video that we've been putting up in different spots. So for those who have seen our faces now, they say we both look much younger than I've said that we really are. And so we're both at the point where um, we got to be careful, just like with Messi, we got to be careful with pizza. And we got to be careful with our bodies because you can't have too much. And it's, it's not like we're, we're not young men anymore, friends. Has. Pizza's a dangerous thing to offer. A pizza is a good thing. So it is a good thing. That's why we need to continue to chase. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we'll continue on talking almost messy adjacent here because for all of the issues of Messi, we know that there have been questions this week as well about Coleman and his system. And when I saw the starting lineup yesterday, when you have Griezmann, Coutinho and Messi, as we talked about, that was the main topic of our show last week. Mm-hmm. It played out again, right? Everything we said, there's going to be a lack of space. And there was Coutinho, Messi and Griezmann both op- I mean, all three operate best in the same spaces. And so Levante, they weren't doing anything crazy at all. It was a medium block, 4-4-2. And I noticed that there were little wrinkles that Coleman tried to do to adjust the spaces on the field. So for Brothwaite, the idea was to have him start out wide, and then he would wind up coming in and taking up a spot between the right center back and the right back so that Messi had room to come in onto his left foot, moving right to left across that center back line. Meanwhile, Coutinho was a little bit behind them in a deeper position, he was trying to get in between the spot between that midfield four and the back four. And then Griezmann was starting out on the right side and basically trying to be anywhere he could make himself known, which never really happened in the game. And once again, for me, Coutinho, the alarm bells ring because even though he was trying to find himself in those pockets of space, he just wasn't receiving the ball in those pockets of space without, uh, without one or two or three times. And you think that if I had to choose between who am I going to keep in the starting lineup, Brothwaite and Coutinho, it's Brothwaite because he makes sense, at least on the field, and Coutinho doesn't make any sense. But, you know, I feel like over and over and over again until, I mean, not that a new president's going to change this, but you get the sense that it's almost Groundhog's Day for the last three or four weeks of this podcast. And I know for the next six weeks, we're going to keep talking about the same thing, that there's just no space for those three number 10s on the field. There's not. There is, but the thing is, they don't find it. That's the problem. I think if you're intelligent enough, um, like Coutinho really should be by now. Um, I know he had the stint at Bayern Munich, but you know he's known Messi for nearly three years now. I think it's about time he got it. Um, Griezmann, again, if um, Coutinho congests the, the centre, um, then when Griezmann drifts towards the centre, which he doesn't do all the time, but it is obvious that that's his natural spot, then there's just no room. We talked about it for an hour last week, so I don't want to I don't want to go into those conversations too much. Um, I want to highlight the fact that Braithwaite, not Ronaldo, not Romario, not Luis Suarez, this is Braithwaite, you know? So he's obviously at a different level in terms of what he can add from an offensive perspective, what he can add in front of goal. And um, any comparison that you throw to those three greats and, you know, another 20 greats that most definitely were better than him as a striker and played for Barca in the past, He's always going to lose those comparisons. But I think that we need to be realistic as to where we are today. And I think that having Braithwaite up front is very, very useful for Messi because he's the only one that can be a reference up front that can enable Messi to obviously not occupy that space because that's where Braithwaite is up front as a striking position. But he enables Messi to come from a second second line, a segunda linea, like we say in Spanish. And um, I think that that is one of the key reasons why Messi has had so many shots on goal He's not always going to miss so many, uh, to be honest. But the thing is, in order to to score, in order to get that shot to the millimetrical sort of um, right right space, you need to be fresh. And Messi at the moment, I know that people say, oh, he's he's not pressing, whatever. But he's never really pressed. You know, this is not something that has changed. So especially in the last five, 10 years, if you go back to 13 seasons ago, I understand Messi was pressing there because he was a youngster. But... In recent times, Messi just hasn't done that. So I think that 
if he needs to cover so much ground, if he needs to go and build from pretty much next to Lengle and Araujo, then he's going to be tired when he comes to front. And if he's not that sharp up front, then that's when his shots suffer. So he needs to take 20 shots to score one, which, to be honest, is the one that won us the game. So I think Braithwaite playing up front, in a way, le pone las pilas. He charges the batteries of Messi, even though that Coutinho and Griezmann keep occupying his space for no particular reason. Something that, to be honest, Pedri doesn't do. So when Pedri comes on in the second half, there's much more space for Messi. He understands those runs and he goes into the different spots, um, sometimes overlapping or associating with Jordi Alba, uh, sometimes dropping back so that the young can move forward. Um, to be honest, I know he's had a fair bit of criticism lately, but I think that, and this is counterproductive to what Barca normally is, but the way that the young was conducting the ball, breaking the lines himself, just by his sheer um, speed and stamina and you know willingness, I think it was quite of one of the positives that we haven't quite seen lately. So a lot of reasons there why Messi is looking better, more involved and uh, happier with himself. Yeah, I want to add to the Pedri and De Young points on the other side of this break. This episode of the Barcelona podcast is brought to you by Fanatis. You know, sometimes you're in the middle of something, a family event, a road trip. Well, not right now, but a work, doctor's appointment, bathroom break, shopping spree, whatever it may be, while Barcelona is playing in the Liga. We know that for you, like us, Football is priority number one, and missing a single minute of Messi and his magic is unforgivable. That's when you can grab your phone, tablet, or even your TV and fire up Fanatis. Fanatis gives you a front row seat to watch the Liga and Messi for just $7.99 a month. Fanatis, the world's largest stadium. Join at Fanatis.com, but there is down in the description, we have a special link, and hit that link and sign up for Fanatis as those subscription companies are getting more and more and more expensive and their add-ons and all those different things it's just $7.99 a month up front for Fanati so again you can join us just hit that link down in the description below big help on that 2020 has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient which means every hire is critical indeed is here to help indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site according to comscore Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. So right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, I was actually going to tease for after the break, Frances, that I wanted to talk about Pedri and De Young, but you hit both of them. Pedri, when he came in for Busquets in that game, it actually wasn't necessarily a knock on Busquets because for the first time with that double pivot, we also have to talk about De Young in that same in that same way. That De Young has achieved now this season his fifth assist as a Barca player in 58 games in all competitions through his now seasons at Barcelona. This was the very first assist he had of the five to Messi. And I I've, I've said before that, and this is I even said last week, the connections between certain players on this team, lack of uh, we'll say that the more passes you give a player, the thicker that line gets. Well, how thin that line was between De Jong and Messi was certainly concerning. That a guy who is a focal point of building the team, that being De Jong, and getting himself on the ball, dribbling in the spaces, you'd think that he would be able to find Messi, particularly on the fact that De Jong usually, he's more comfortable on, we'll say, the right half of the field, if you will. If you were to cut going vertically the field, you cut it in half. De Jong operates a little bit better shading over, helping out with Dest. And Busquets will move over to the left a little bit more um, to be that reference point then for Alba and usually Coutinho as well in front of him. And Pedri, in the same way, comes in from the left, as you mentioned, over into the right to, be, to get more of a central position. So for De Jong to finally be able to combine with Messi, and this happened because he was, as much as Barca weren't pressing, this is my issue with Griezmann and, and Coutinho, and throw Messi in there as well, that Barca weren't pressing Levante. They were getting spaces, that being Levante, getting out of trouble passing out of the back as all teams in the Liga do. So the idea that Barca is going to press the ball off the feet of any team in the Liga and they're going to lose control of the ball is a, an idea that is now four, five, six, seven, eight years ago that when 
Guardiola did it, it's because you had center backs still in, we'll say, the old world view of center backs that they couldn't get out of their own way. Now you have goalkeepers that could dribble through defenses all the way up the field. The game has changed. And so Barcelona and their pressing system is not going to be up to snuff. But my issue with Coutinho and Messi and Griezmann, not even with the the lack of pressing, that's not a problem because what Komen did this time, and I think was smart to change his pressing system, is that he would have De Jong almost as a rabbit. And if listen, if De Jong has the legs to do so, bouncing from place to place, and instead of actually pressing the guy with the ball, it would be whatever player was closest to the player with the ball was the activation, and then De Jong would almost herd them to the other player. And so th- the press was more of a shaping the offensive player's body to understand where the ball is going next so that Barca as a whole, as a system, could handle that next pass, which I thought they did rather well with a few times that Barca, oh, that Levante rather got out on the counter. But then when Pedri, not only defensively, but offensively when Pedri came in the game as well, his off-ball movement, I think, is the important thing here. Because Coutinho, I mean, there were times in that match where I was watching him, and I know I've been hard on Coutinho. I'll continue to be hard on Coutinho because as much as he's not finding those spaces, he doesn't really move well enough off the ball. There are times he does when Messi's coming through the middle and he's looking to combine, and that's when he's at his best. When he gets into that spot almost before Messi can dribble into the spot to lose the ball because Messi does lose the ball quite a lot in the middle of the field now. But when Coutinho comes in and actually occupies that spot so that he can be a reference point for Messi to play off, that is when he's at his best. But if he's on the left wing... He doesn't make those movements. He doesn't come in horizontally and time those runs properly in a way that 17-year-old Pedri does. And Pedri's movement, as I said, leading up to that goal, yes, it happened because, as you had mentioned earlier, Brothwaite was the reference point for that goal that Messi scored. And then De Jong winds up getting the assist in the position he needed to be in, in his new position, if you will, uh, against Levante. But then Pedri, because of his off-ball movement, that freed up the space as well for Messi to get out onto the left. So that Messi, who's used to all he's doing is he knows that he has to create and finish. This time, all he had to do was take the ball and finish the ball. One or two touches, didn't even have to overthink it, just aim it, fire, and that's it. And all he had to do was finish. And that is where the success came. And as you mentioned, it was Brothwaite, it was De Jong. Being, it being a better reference point and just having a different role and a role that suited him, that being De Jong alongside Busquets. I think the best version of that double pivot we saw between Busquets and De Jong. I don't know how it happens against another team that's not fighting relegation in Levante because as much as Levante played uh, well against Barca, Aitor Fernandez standing on his head having the most saves for any La Liga goalkeeper since Reina last year against Mallorca against Barcelona as well. So now Barcelona in the last two seasons as well have Five of the top six save totals for goalkeepers in the Liga, if that made any sense as I got through that stat. So a pretty incredible stat to tell you that they don't put the ball in the back of the net, but the goalkeepers do well, and your eyes don't deceive you. Yes, Aitor Fernandez is standing on his head, but as I said, Levante weren't a better team. I cut Barca in those chances, but I think there are promising signs here, at least between Pedri and De Jong, Brothwaite and Messi. There are, there are promising signs. Um, just the last point you made, I think that every single goalkeeper we play against seems to be Oliver Benji, you know, like Captain Tsubasa. I don't know how many of our listeners know that, that cartoon, but it's just we make every goalkeeper that we play against a world-class goalkeeper. And uh, there's got to be something wrong in training. You know, I, I think that obviously fatigue and the amount of kilometers you have to take and, and dribbles you have to take before you can actually take a shot, that's affected. But come on, there are so many shots that go astray and... Some of them are really bland to the middle. I mean, there's got to be some shooting practice going on that Kuman just doesn't see or doesn't want to do. I've got no idea, but surely there's got to be something done at both ends of the pitch. I mean, we didn't have any howlers in defense for once, which was good. Another clean sheet that was that was powerful. Um, talking positives, I think that Araujo was very good. Obviously, he's playing Levante, so we cannot really... You know, we need to put everything into perspective here. He's one of the worst teams in La Liga and quite definitely is going to be fighting relegation. But regardless, Araujo looks solid. I think that when he went to tackle, he was effective. When he was challenged in the air, he won most duels and uh, his positioning was spot on as well. And also his weakness, a major weakness, which is playing the ball from the back, that was not really too bad either. So I think that Araujo was one of the best news, if not the best news story, apart from, you know, Messi driving the team forward that, that we can take. And the last one, we really are missing Fatih and Dembele, or even Conrad, to be honest. I think that 
this team with a 4-2-3-1 that Kuman obviously is so stubborn in continuing to, to, to use every single game. Uh, we do see variations, but I'm not convinced this is just Kuman saying, oh, let's play in a different way. I think this is probably the players just thinking, right, I've got this rigid system. Let me drift towards another position, see what happens, just to make things a little bit different. I don't know if that comes from the coach. In, in fact, I don't think that comes from the coach half the time, but there you go. So I think this team is designed, this system is designed to have a winger that can unbalance the team a little bit. That can be messy, a little bit of a break so that he doesn't have to, as you said before, build, create, associate and finish. And uh, and feed Ansu Fati would make the difference. Dembele would also make the difference. I think that the with Messi, the only three players, that's Fatih, Dembele and Messi, that can actually beat another another player. If you don't break the lines by when it matters in the front, say 24% of the pitch, then you're going to find it really, really hard to actually score or to have clear chances. Of course, you can take 22 shots, but obviously if you've got four players in the middle of it, then it's not always going to be going to be a clear shot. So having a player that makes the difference, apart from Messi, would mean the world to us. But unfortunately, uh, players that can do that, they're, they're either injured or in Conrad's case, they are too green. They're not just ready just yet, or they haven't been given the confidence. So you can, you know, you can look at that one whichever way you like. Yeah, almost a reminder that Fatih was Barca's leading scorer before he went down. That mm-hmm. I know he's just 18, but he was that player who was doing exactly what you're saying in unbalancing teams. And I mean, some of the stats were pretty staggering in that first four or five matches of the season where Barca were going down the left side of the pitch. And this is almost no offense to Jordi Alba, but we're, we're seeing now in the numbers that it wasn't necessarily Jordi Alba doing the heavy lifting there, that running the offense through Fati was the idea. And that was the point of having an, a winger establishing himself on that left wing and dribbling one at one against the opposition and unbalancing and causing some havoc in the box as well where Fatih is going to continue to get better at that, taking up a central position, as we've argued about whether he can even be Barca's future number nine. But either way, Barca, I I think for the losses of Roberto and Pique, the argument is that Fatih might be the biggest loss of them all when we actually look at the results that Barcelona get this season. And I want to actually jump back there to the back line real quick about Araujo, that as tough as it might be for Coleman to drop the price tags of Griezmann and Coutinho or the legends that are Roberto or Busquets, Langley is the one to me that, I mean, even against Levante, he's, I, I, at least for me, I, it seems like he's lost his trust in himself. And if he doesn't have confidence in himself at the moment, I mean, I, I watching him, I've also lost a little bit of confidence. The way that Umtiti moves the ball, and you could say Umtiti, he also, in the same way that Langley and Araujo and Mingueza, all four of them have had howlers. Now, Umtiti hasn't played enough to, to, to admit to having a howler, but the last two seasons now, since he's been wrong, if you will, not right, he's committed a few errors, if you will, and particularly if I remember two seasons ago against Levante, next to Yuri Mina, Umtiti had quite the howler as well in that one, when Barca wound up, instead of going unbeaten in La Liga, they wound up losing in a shootout to Levante, and Umtiti, I believe, did play a role in that. But anyway, if Umtiti is able to come back uh, which he seems to be regaining his fitness. If this is real and he's finally regained his fitness, when it comes to playing the ball as a center back, I think you can't have the combination of Langley and Araujo. It's got to be one ball playing center back, one center back for Barcelona that can break lines with their passing as Umtiti. And we've seen from Mungueza coming from the academy, he's able to do that a bit better than Araujo and Langley as well. So for me, I would pair Umtiti with Araujo or you make it Mungueza and Langley. I don't think you combine Araujo and Lingley because you're just not getting anything in buildup out of the back. And so much of that is coming from Ter Stegen or, you're, or they're doing overloads to bypass that, that center back pass. They're doing overloads with Dest and, and Alba, which to their credit, Alba's having a decent season. Not great, but a decent season. And Dest has been better than expected, as, as we keep mentioning as well. But if you had something coming from a, a li- some line-breaking passes from those center backs and Lingley and Araujo together as defensively sound, that might be your best defensively sound pairing, but I don't think that's the one against teams like Levante where you're going to have the lion's share of possession. I don't think that's the combination. I think there has to be some kind of mix-matching in the different profiles of these and characteristics of these center backs. Yeah, um, I agree with the heart of what you're saying, but ultimately I think that there are many players there that you've mentioned, like Untiti and Legle, that unfortunately they just don't have the quality 
to be about start as a Barca. I think that's the bottom line. Um, I, well, that's the so, argument I'm making, that we think that Lenglet yeah. is a surefire starter. I'm actually going to say that if you have Umtiti, Mingueta, Araujo, and Lenglet, to me now with how bad Lenglet's been, they're on the same level now. All four. It's not Lenglet number one and then two and then the, the other three are kind of fighting for the other spot. I think Lenglet... Exactly. Uh, yeah, I think Lenglet's actually in trouble in, with his starting yeah. spot. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, and with that in mind, you play the youngsters because they're the ones with the most potential. They're the ones with the, not necessarily that we're going to sell them, but the, with the most market value. You know, they are going to get better. They are young. They both understand how Barca plays and uh, they, they're more confident because they've made the most growth in recent times. So I think that regardless, you cannot really win the Champions League or even a La Liga when either one of those four, well, two of those four really, are going to be regular starters. And I don't think that, that just happens. Um, I agree with you that Jordi Alba has been decent. He just passes the ball too often to Messi. I think it's incredibly clear what he's going to do pretty much every time he's got the ball. He's just going to be, Messi's going to hang around the, you know, semi-circulo semi outside the area. And he's going to take a shot from behind. I mean, it's like playing FIFA. You, you know where your tricks are. And that's Jordi Alba's trick all the time. And uh, I do agree that there's, has been a great addition. Um, you know, Sergio Roberto went down four or five weeks ago now, and no one is arguing that Sergio Dest is a regular starter and deservedly so. And I think that Sergio Roberto, when he comes back, he's going to have to do a lot of um, a lot of impressing during training to be able to take Sergio Dest out because he's no Dani Alves just yet. But there are things that he does that remind me of what Dani Alves used to do, um, at least the ability to push forward and the spirit of his game. Obviously, in terms of quality, in terms of um, stamina, in terms of charisma, he's nowhere near yet. But I think that the early signs are promising. So for me, Sergio Des is a regular starter now. And even when Sergio Roberto comes back, he should be a starter as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to waste time on this podcast complimenting Des. I think anyone who listens and any time for the last three, four months. You know where I stand. You've done, you've done just that. Yeah, yeah. You know where I stand as <laughs> so you know Dest. But the guy that before we hit the Champions League draw, that's how we're going to end the show. I do want to talk about Ronald Coleman just for a second. We've mentioned that stubborn is the key. We also mentioned that for what I was talking about earlier about different, if you will, different subsections of socios, where there are socios that not necessarily that any of them support Bartomeu, but there are certainly more conservative socios that want the club to be run a certain way. And then you have the idealistic would be a way to use it, but you can also interchange that with the word Cruyff and say that uh, you have Cruyff ideas and ideals and not a different way of running the club, but just in nuance that there's, there's different ideas about uh, how to run a club. And for Komen, his hiring winds up appeasing both those sides where Ronald Coleman, being a club legend, has a much larger leash that you would think that for his lack of results going into Levante, this is a stat that if you watch the YouTube match review, you would have heard, or I think I mentioned somewhere else as well. But his, before yesterday's win, first 10 La Liga matches for any manager for Barcelona, that was the worst start since Renus Michaels back in 1971. And we're talking his string of results in La Liga in particular the worst batch of results since the 60s and 70s. And as much as we talk about the turn of the century in the Louis van Gaal era and some of the lack of results there, or you talk about even throughout the uh, even the early 80s when there were some issues before they turned it around and were making a Champions League against uh, Stav Bucharest, this is a team that has not been this bad in the Liga for decades and decades when the club back in the 60s and the 70s was not this Europe-conquering all-conquering team. They were merely one of those teams with Real Sociedad and Athletic Club and Atletico Madrid, the ones that could topple Real Madrid for titles in, at that time it was Europe, but at that time only one team from every country would get to Europe, and that's why Real Madrid kept getting those invitations to Europe over and over and over again. Yeah, that's a little history lesson, a little different from that, but the point was Barca were not, it wasn't Barca and Real Madrid, even though they had a rivalry, it was a bunch of teams in Spanish football could win the Liga, but you had to top of Real Madrid. That's what it was at the time when Barca were this bad in the Liga. So for Coleman, being as stubborn as he is, just like Messi, are we at a point where we understand that, Rome, that Ronald Coleman is not going to be the manager next year, but regardless of what happens in January, he's just he appeases too many people in the club by being a club legend. And I think 
as much as he's not the guy for next year, Frances, <laughs> he's very stubborn and he didn't have the CV as a manager coming in to inject confidence in anybody. And we had, we had discussed it, right? That were you going to get Southampton Coleman or were you going to get Everton Coleman? And I think we've gotten much more Everton Coleman as we're seeing, unfortunately. But regardless of what he does for the remainder of this season, this is not his job next season, right? But he's going to see out the rest of the year because in a way, by being a club legend, he just doesn't ruffle the feathers enough. And you have to trust him because of what he's already given to the club. But is that even fair? Right? We didn't give Setien and Valverde, obviously, the same leash at all. Yeah, but the jobs that they came to do were different. Um, Setien and Valverde came here to win. And I think that is quite clear that Ronald Koeman wasn't going to win this season. I mean, they they tried their absolute best to keep Messi, despite the fact that Messi wanted to go. Um, they, as a result, you knew you weren't going to have any money or any decent money to reinforce the squad. Um, he was signed and he pretty much asked for Wijnaldum and also Memphis Depay. Neither one of them came. Eddie Garcia was also mentioned. He didn't come. So, you know, you haven't signed anyone for this guy. Um, in terms of the his status within the club. Well, he's the player that scored the goal that got us the first European Cup after failing for 40, 50 years, uh, because before that we weren't really relevant at European level. And um, he will always be remembered for that. It doesn't matter how much he messes up now. He's always going to be one of the top three players in Johan Cruyff's dream team. And he's going to be the one that put the boot through Sampdoria's goal. So that's that's what Sosis will forever remember. And coming this season, and let's not forget, he was the coach of Holland. So he left a very high-profile job to come here and, to be honest, do the club a favor uh, yeah. because no one really could have done the job that he did. Um, if it wasn't for Kuman, I trust me, Vidal, Rakitic, and Luis Suarez would still be here. They would be a year older than they were last year. There would be no Pedri, or Pedri wouldn't have any significant minutes. Uh, Trincao... Okay, he hasn't really taken off just yet, but who knows if Ansu Fati would have continued to play the way he did. Um, Ricky Puch, I think, is a very controversial figure um, with Kules around the world. Um, some people seem to think that he's the be-all and end-all, um, that he's the next savior, but actually when he's been given a chance, he's been okay. Um, granted, he's probably shown a bit more willingness than some, but to be honest, he hasn't really won anything just yet. Um, you can argue that he hasn't hasn't really been allowed to do that. But, you know, I think the people are trying to antagonize him with Kuman. But don't forget that Ricky Puch hasn't really played a lot with Kuman or Valverde when he was here or even Kike Setien. So there's got to be something there that we are you're sort of missing or, or we're just not seeing. Uh, but let me not digress. Kuman has come here to do a job. It is very clear he won't be here for a whole season. Um, I think if he finishes this season, that will be that will be the maximum he can give. If Laporta wins, I think Kuman stays until the end of the year. If Victor Fon wins, I am not sure at all. I think maybe someone like Garcia Pimienta takes the last three, four months. Uh, if Xavi is not available, um, I'm not sure, to be honest. But um, I think that is quite obvious that Kuman won't be the coach next year. He knows it. The players know it. Um, Messi has got the key to the whole box once again. If he decides to stay, then Barca, Barca will be one thing next year. If he leaves, Barca will be a completely different chapter next year. And uh, with the very, very terrible economical position we've got at the club, Messi's future is very important. Not just the fact that on the pitch, but also his wage. His wage is incredible. He is the most expensive player in, in the planet. Um, and deservedly, so don't get me wrong. But I think that all of these incognitas need to be solved so that we know where the club is going next year and we won't know where the club is going until we've got a new president. So Sosis have got a very important decision. They always always do, always have. But right now, it is crucial they get this one right. Yeah, I, yeah, I have no disagreements on that. I think the one point, as we know with Puj, it's going to be the same thing. Even against Juventus, when he came on, his three key passes were the most in limited minutes of any player in the Champions League. Just the, the metrics and the numbers that he comes out of matches with tell you that Barca are better with him on the field than Coutinho. I mean, again, it's not an argument about Pedri, but they're better with him on the field. And I think that's the issue, that if, if, if Puj was just playing even a little bit, if he was getting 
half the minutes that Pedri gets if he does see the field. I don't think you hear the same arguments, right? I don't, mm-hmm. I, I, there are certainly, as Frances, there is a subset of people that think he is some kind of savior. But for me, it's simply that he deserves the play over Coutinho and Barca might still have the same results with or with him out on the field. I don't think it's going to flip things. Uh, he's just one player. But I also think that as far as Puj, we can almost wait it out that I think everybody knows that Puj is going to be at Barcelona longer than Coman is. So there's going to be a fourth manager to figure out if Puj is, is an important player at the club. So uh, I would say I know it's frustrating to see a 21-year-old not get minutes and be wasting the vital time. As I've said before about why I thought Puj should have gone on loan at the beginning of the season, same, maybe potentially with Alenia as well, that at this point in their career, they could be players at Barcelona in the future and important players, but they need to be playing at this juncture in the career. They cannot be just sitting on the bench because that winds up hurting your development. But yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll continue. With that, Dan, let me just say, it is not the same to come in for 10, 15 minutes than to play for 90 every single week. Yeah. You know, obviously, the metric that he presents when he's got 15 minutes to prove a point are going to be very different than if he plays the 90 minutes. Granted, the, 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 the idea, the... The idea is that if he plays 90 minutes, he's going to have more key passes. He's going to be more influential. But obviously, he won't be able to play the same way. And also, we still haven't seen Ricky Puig being fatigued like Pedri quite likely has been yeah. over the last two, three weeks. Uh, because, he's, of course, he hasn't had the chance. But what I'm saying is that when you give a player continuity, you see exactly what the player can give. If you give him 15 minutes every time and in 15 minutes, he runs for every throw-in. He, you know, he gets tackled, he stands up straight away, he goes running for the ball. He's just, it's a very small sample size. Um, he is very clever. He knows exactly who he's playing to. He's playing to the gallery. He knows that there's a buzz about him and he knows that if he does that, then people are going to pick on whoever starts in front of him. I mean, my brother played for Barca. I know I know the mechanisms of um, what you say, the La Masia chosen ones, what they do that the others don't do. And right. Ricky Puch has mamado all of that. He's... He's um, grown up with it. He knows all the ins and outs. He knows what the Camino wants. He knows what the fans want. And he's given the fans exactly that. But what I'm saying is that if a manager that has to win to survive, because that is what every manager has to do, and certainly Kuman, I mean, this life match, last match against Levante, if he lost that goal, this last match against Levante, if he lost that game, his future would have been in jeopardy. Sure. And he's still not playing you, then there's got to be something else. There was this leakage incident that um, happened back in, back in September when he was told he needed to go on, on loan and then the very next minute everyone knows about it. So there are things, there's got to be something there that we don't see why this player who when he plays is doing so well is just not there and I think that to be a long-term professional player you need to be great on the pitch but you're also some hidden non-written dressing room codes you need to obey by and I don't know if this guy is doing it all the time because otherwise it's simple clear that he needs to play much more. So there's got to be something else. Yep, yep. I think that conversation will continue to be the same one, just like Messi, just like Coleman. We're at a, a juncture until those presidential elections, as I said, that we are having and rehashing the same conversations over and over and over again. So let's hit something new because Barcelona are in the Champions League draw in the next round against the first round of the knockouts against Paris Saint-Germain. We know PSG quite well. It was back in 2017. And when you look at the papers, it's funny because you get the headlines. Of course, it's Messi versus Neymar plus Mbappe. And then it's obviously 2017, the Romantada, Sergi Roberto. I know he's out injured now, but he's got his face all over all the papers because that's what people want to remind you of. But I think for the first time in this, I guess you'll call it a rivalry because PSG buying Neymar was what set off the domino of Barca making terrible, terrible decisions at the club. And now being in the place they are, that was the, uh, you could say, the fault of PSG by going out and, yeah, I mean, dismantling Barcelona from the inside out by by uh, activating the release clause of Neymar. And then, yes, it's not PSG's fault that Barcelona and Bartomeu spent the money the way they did. But the point is that PSG unbalanced with that transfer all of world football, uh, not just Barcelona, but it completely flipped the transfer market as well. And PSG, since that time, now they're a team that, not that they have uh, an overt amount of confidence, they still haven't won the big one. They still, for all the Liga, t- uh, the Liga, uh, rather, titles that they have, they have yet to win the big one in the Champions League. But they did make the final last year against an okay Bayern Munich team. And by that, I mean the dominant force in European football at the moment. So I know people were saying that Barcelona were going to be matched up with Liverpool or Bayern Munich and, did, and get destroyed. That didn't happen. But against PSG, 
Barcelona are severely the underdogs. And if actually you look at the whole draw, I think it's Lazio versus Bayern Munich. Uh, every team that's facing off, uh, that being every second place team facing off a group winner is, I think, easily the underdog. You don't see that very often. You do see some ties in the round of 16 where you go, oh, maybe something could happen there. If anything, Barca are the most likely to wind up being able to topple PSG of all the underdogs, I think, in this knockout round. But that said, this is a different PSG side this year as well under Tuch- uh, under Thomas Tuchel. They're playing with more confidence, I think, than they have, and they're a lot less top-heavy than they usually are as well. That midfield that consists of the, a new signing, even though he's 29 years old, and Danilo Pereira spent most of his time in the Portuguese league. You have uh, Leandro Paredes, who is just a defensive midfielder who's playing in a central midfield spot. You have Arati. Everybody knows him pretty well. And then you have uh, Idris Gea. He's another one of those ones who's simply, to describe this PSG midfield, it's tidy. It takes care of business. It's got... Four players that just do the little things that you have to do to support the likes of Neymar, Mbappe, and Di Maria up top. And even when you throw in Rafinha and Ender Herrera into that midfield, you just have a lot of midfielders. The Yes, they're similar profiles, but they all have the same job. That midfield three is tidy. It does its work. And then behind them in Marquinhos, in Kimbepe, and then even the, the Florenzi and Bakker on the left side and Kerrer. They're all doing the little things defensively to be a sound, balanced team. And PSG might show Barcelona what it looks like when you have a Neymar, when you have Mbappe, when you have a guy that's not pressing and finding all the spaces they can on the field. What happens when you have a full team to support them? And PSG are doing that this year. So I I think that not only PSG the favorites, but there's a reason why they're favorites. It's not just that Barca are bad and PSG have Neymar and Mbappe. It's that Tuchel has implemented a system that is currently working in the Spanish capital. I think that no team in the Champions League wanted to face Barca. Okay, so let's just say that for a start. There are obviously Barca is a team that would normally have been first. If they weren't that terrible in the last game, they would have. Um, To be honest, there were very, very, very few people that thought that Barca weren't going to win the group. So they were the ogre for the others. Okay, so I want to flip it. Because there's a lot of pessimism going around. Um, obviously, Barca's results lately haven't been great. And um, the, the, the great thing here is that we're not playing the Champions League tomorrow morning. You know, there's still going to be a couple of months. Uh, Barca will grow. I think that it is very unlikely. Touch wood, hopefully. Um, we're not going to get worse. Um, I don't know how we can. That... Yeah, I don't know how we can get worse. But yeah, <laughs> we have to get better. Yeah. Well, let's see. Let's see. <laughs> you can never say never. We've got a very weird <laughs> season in our hands. So it is unlikely that it gets worse. Uh, there are players that in two, three months' time, when this match actually happens, they are going to be much fitter. Um, let's not forget that the vast majority of teams in Europe, they do the preparation. And I know this preseason has been different, but um, they do the preseason so that their legs are very heavily sort of worked at at the beginning of the year, so that as the year progresses, they get fitter and fitter and fitter. So they peak in the last third. Uh, that happens in every single team. And obviously, Barca's, they, they have been rejuvenated this season. Um, there are a lot of youngsters playing. And I think that as the year progresses, they're going to feel more established. They're going to understand the systems better. And I think that Barca in two months' time are going to be very different from the Barca we see today. Hopefully different in a better way. So I'm not too worried about facing PSG. I think that any one of the teams we would have gotten would have been very difficult. But we've got a chance. You know, We are a team that has got Messi. We are a team that has got a lot of great players, and I think that there is plenty of time before so that Barca can get their act together and challenge PSG. I mean, they are, they've got great players. I think that Neymar and Mbappé obviously are from a, are a threat, and I think that that would be something that any team in Europe would be not terrified of, but they will have to respect. But at the same time, we are Barca. We have won the Champions League several times. Um, we've got a point to prove in Europe for how much we've underperformed the last three, four years. So I'm fairly happy we're playing PSG. Uh, the only one I wanted to avoid was Bayern Munich. But to be honest, even if we had them, so what? We just go and play. And if we're not good enough to win the whole thing, then we may as well exit in the next round. I, I don't really see the difference so that we can focus in La Liga solely. But if it's going to be PSG, then, then so be it. Let's go. Let's challenge. Let's play. And uh, if we've got Messi in a comfortable space, confident space, and uh, the spaces around them, and the players around him, they're not working towards closing his spaces, but actually enabling him to grow and, and be more influential, then I think we've got a chance against anybody. So bring it on, basically. 
Yeah, it should be mentioned that uh, even though they, yes, they have uh, Mauro Riccardi as well, they have Pablo Sarabia as well, That's it's a potent attack, sure. But PSG, even this season, and you talk about the ebbs and flow of a year, they're currently third in the league on table. For all the win, the times that they, they're getting first, it is very much up in the balance. They're behind Lille and Lyon by, by one point. And by the time that Barca face PSG uh, in the Champions League in February, they might be back up to first place and they might be leading the league on table by 10 points. You don't know. So PSG could have their ebbs and flows. But yeah, as much as in the Champions League, Tuchel has turned this team around a bit. But even then, they were in a dogfight with Manchester United and PSG were the team, obviously, that, that had that issue with the fourth official. And so they had the game that was moved to the next day for those races for marks, which obviously are disgusting and awful. And so they just moved it to the next day. And so PSG, they've also, in their own way, have had a weirdly solid, as I said, on the field, on paper, it's been a solid season. But yet their results have kind of been hot or cold as well. So things happen, things change. All that we know is that Barcelona are facing Real Sociedad on Wednesday. So that's why you're hearing the podcast today, because even though we thought that the Champions League, it was Every other day, it seemed like there was a match that's going to continue on because Barcelona are one of those teams that need to make up those matches because of the pandemic and having to play the Champions League matches at the end of the year. And so there is plenty of football still happening, happening twice a week. And you've got us in your ears for all of it at least once a week. And now you got a little bit of us in video. So Francis, I'm going to say goodbye to everybody now. Anything more before we wrap things up? No, no, just to say that we need to be optimistic. We need to trust that things are going the right way. Um, obviously, it's very easy to complain about what you see. It's very easy to feel unhappy. But if this is a transition season, which I think is very obvious that it is, then we need to always focus on the positives and, and keep moving forward. Yep, for sure. So we ended the show with some optimism from Frances. So that's, again, the perfect place to end it. I want to also shout that's out for... That's a rarity. rarity so, <laughs> so, well, <laughs> I take it when I can get it. So we take it when we can get it. Optimism <laughs> from Frances. So uh, on Wednesday against Real Sociedad, I want to mention also on the YouTube channel, I'll be posting it on social media or rehashing it, if you will, and in case you missed it for a, not a preview of Real Sociedad, but I explained why they're no longer at the top of the table, but why they've been a team that looks like they could have contended early on for the Liga title. I know it's a very long season and Real Sociedad are not a favorite for the Liga title, but that is the, this is the best version of the Basque team that we have seen in quite some time. So they're doing a lot of things right. They're a well-run club at the moment. So I highlighted that on YouTube a while ago. So I'll make sure I put that in the description as well. So we do want to thank you, though, for at least listening to the podcast. You can tap in your app, check out the show notes to subscribe. Find us on social media. We're on Twitter, at the Barcelona Pod, or at HealthND13. For me, on Instagram, at the Barcelona Pod. That closed Facebook group is tbpod.link backslash group for deeper dive discussions and all that. Patreon, you help us make these shows. A special thank you as well to all of our Patreons. Uh, we didn't have time to answer Patreon Ion's question this week. That was about the election. So I'm basically saving those Patreon questions about the election. We're going to talk about that in a bit when we figure everything out before that happens in the end of January. So that's tbpod.link backslash Patreon. We're also on YouTube, as you know, the Barcelona podcast. And if you're watching us there, I guess, um, hello, and thanks for seeing our faces. So check us out there. Hit that subscription button. And thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And Forza Barca. Forza. Forza.